In the movie Singularity, <coughs> a, CEO, a CEO develops a supercomputer called Kronos. It's to end all wars. But the intent is really to end humanity. You see, humanity is the problem. The same theme plays out in the movie I, Robot. A computer is developed that controls all robots that have been made to serve mankind. But the supercomputer evolves and figures out that mankind is the problem. So the computer decides to control mankind using robots. Two different movies with two different approaches, but one underlying theme. Mankind is the problem. Mankind is destroying the environment. Mankind is destroying the planet. Mankind is destroying himself. So, what are the alternatives? How does racist mankind eliminate racism? How does greedy mankind end world poverty and hunger? How does lustful mankind end sexual assault? How does hateful mankind end murder and mayhem? Someone or something must control mankind because mankind either can't or won't control himself. This is the world that I bequeath to my children and grandchildren. What hope do they have? The government cannot give hope. It seems that the government is moving in a totalitarian direction. As beneficial as science is, science offers no hopes. The issue that destroys, destroys us are issues of the heart. Hatred is an issue of the heart. Lust is an issue of the heart. Greed is an issue of the heart. Rejection of authority is an issue of the heart. The heart can't be changed by technology because the heart of mankind is not an organ. It is a disposition ingrained in us at conception. Therefore, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are by nature children of wrath. Well, we've been talking about the gospel and I admit that it's just an overview of the salient points. But today, we want to talk about what mankind's remedy is. I love Psalm 49 because it tells us the truth. No man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. The psalmist says it again at the end. Man in his pomp yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. That's the world we live in. So we want to ask her, ask and answer, try to answer a couple of questions, just two. Why is this so that mankind is this way? And what is the remedy? That's what the gospel is all about. So why is it so? Why is it 
Why are things the way that they are? Well, I'm going to tell you some things that you're so familiar with, you're probably going to say, "Uh, Pastor Hunt, I'm tired of hearing this. Uh, You know, you've you've referred to this passage so many times, I got it memorized. Well, good. (laughs) The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Men by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How has He done that? Well, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without... This translates it, they are without excuse, and that's true, but really it's the word that we use for apologetics, and it means that they are without defense. Mankind is without a defense. He's never going to be able to stand before God and say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, just a second. Like, uh, who was it? Um, I think it was Richard Dawkins or one of those new atheists said, well, if... You know, if, if God is really there and He wants me to know Him, He should have made it more clear. Well, the Bible is saying to that man, He made it clear enough. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Look at the creation, Psalm 19, you know. Mm-hmm. The heavens, what do they do? They declare the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Every time science comes up with some new thing that they found, it's like, oh, look at this. They're amazed, you know. Even this scientist who uh, is uh, working, uh, he has a company that is seeking to find out how uh, how um, simple chemistry became complex. How simple elements became complex and ended up in life. By his own admission, he says, when I see information... I assume that there is someone who made the information. Somebody put the information in there. Something did. And he says that life has information. But he's an atheist. So where did the information come from? Well, I don't know. I just know that if there's information, there's intelligence. Well, if there's information in life and that, that demonstrates intelligence, then why can't you make the next step? Well, I don't believe in God. He doesn't exist. That's a working assumption. So here's a man that's looking at creation. He's even saying, listen, all these chemicals that we have here, they, they came to earth on meteors. And we know that they did. And uh, somehow, some way, they ended up in life. I mean, I listened to this guy say this. And then I heard him say the words. Information implies intelligence. That's what he said. And life has information. So, where's the intelligence? He would not make the next step. I don't understand that. But there's an example. Everybody knows that DNA is an information code. Everybody knows that. What did it just do? Plot there? Boop. There it is. Just happened to happen. Well, 
I think God says, you're without a defense. You're not going to be able to stand before Him and say, you know what, you didn't make it clear. And, and God's going to say, really? You look at the most basic, simple, the most basic elements of life. And by your own admission, you said they were information. By your own admission, you said that, was in, that, that implies intelligence. But you deny me still. No defense. They are not only without excuse, but as the word means, they are without defense. They knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God. Now, who is he talking about? Well, I think he's, Paul's talking about, first of all, Adam and Eve, but he's also talking about the Israelites. They knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Well, now all mankind did that, but the fact is, you could read this same comment. I couldn't. I can't tell you the reference right now, but you could read this same. This these. Uh, not identical, but similar words in the prophets because that's what Israel did. They turned away from God and they worshipped idols. That's why they went into captivity. And so God gave them up. He gave up all mankind in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and all men likewise gave and, and the men likewise gave up relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. There you go, back to the idea of mind, heart, and the scripture are they're, they're synonymous things most of the time. And so the mind has been uh, debased. God gave them up to that so that they might do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of... Now, this is a list, but it's not a comprehensive list in one sense, but in another sense, it's comprehensive in terms of category. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Notice that. That's right in the middle there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give them approval, give approval to those who practice them. Now, Romans 1 is that passage. It is looking at Adam and Eve. I really do believe it is looking at Adam and Eve as the race is uh, when it fell. But it also applies to Israel because they were guilty of, of a lot of the same things. But it also applies to the world in which Paul lived in, and it applies in our world not only to men outside the church, but to people inside the church as well. That's what we have today. 
Even children in Christian homes are disobedient to parents. They dishonor them. Even in Christian homes, even in Christian churches, we have pastors who are who are affirming, you know, uh, uh, same-sex relationships. I mean, they have that even in in one Presbyterian denomination where where one of the pastors claims to be gay, and they have a big conference every year. This is a conservative Presbyterian denomination. And then we have evangelical Christians making up about 25%, I think it is, of abortions done in the United United States. And what really shocks me is that the number is almost as high of Roman Catholics. Well, I was a Roman Catholic. I grew up one. You You weren't even allowed to use contraceptives in the church I grew up in. But nowadays, go ahead and have an abortion. So they're murderers. We have this all big issue about racism and I agree, you know, the church is guilty. The Southern Presbyterian Church had, had pastors and theologians who defended slavery. And they should never have done that. There were Christian missionaries who destroyed Native Americans, who forced the children to learn English, who changed their names. That's not what Christ sent us to do. He didn't tell us to preach the gospel with a sword or to, or to force people into believing something. We were to preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and salvation, not us. But that's what happened. It was disturbing when I read Charles Hodges. He's a great Princeton theologian. He argued against slavery and turned right around and said that he believed that the Negro race was subhuman. Now, what kind of theology did he... He's a man we all admire. And yet, that's exactly what he did. So, are we guilty? Well, I'm not. I don't think I should be held accountable for the sins of Charles Hodge, but we still have this problem. It's still going on in our world, in our country. And it does need to be addressed. I support that. I don't support the way it is the way it's being done, but I support that. And we all should. But why are these things happening? They're happening because Mankind rejected God. Racism doesn't exist because I'm prejudiced. I'm prejudiced because God was rejected. Now, I hope I'm not prejudiced now, but that's the truth. Men are prejudiced because they have a heart that is given given up God. And even when they claim to believe in God, they still hold on to to these sins. And it is, it's discouraging. What do we do about it? Well, that's the next question. Why is this so? Well, it's why is it that man is the way he is? Well, we're told in the Bible. Even if we've heard it over and over and over and over again, we need to have it sink in. The reason things are the way they are is because mankind turned his back on God. Because they served and worshipped the creature rather than the creator and they are doing that to this day. They believe they're going to solve all problems through technology or all problems through, um, through government. 
All that's going to do is lead to a totalitarian government. There is, there's no way to avoid it. A new movie coming out that's coming out with uh, uh, Tom Hanks is called Circle, and uh, the way there, the way that he comes out on the stage uh, of this big in this big auditorium, and he says, he said, I believe that that we can solve all mankind's problems. I believe if we work together, we can cure every disease. I believe that we can do this. I believe that we can do that. And how does he do it? Through Circle. Circle is watching everybody in the world. Everybody is seen through cameras and everything all around the world. What is that? Well, that's what China is doing. It's totalitarianism. And you're not going to solve all mankind's problems. Well, you see, that's a rejection of God. Now, the movie goes in another direction. I haven't seen it yet, so I withhold judgment. But the, the point is... The way that we do this is control. Control. Well, the reason that is the way that is is because man has rejected God. And his only hope, in his, in his eyes, in mankind's eyes, the only hope that he has is to control. And I'm afraid of the end of that I'm afraid of the direction that will end well that's the problem what is the remedy well some people and you'll hear them say this think that religion is the answer you see because people kind of need religion right we need religion, and if people are religious, they're better people. Right? I don't think that's true, but that's not what the Bible says. You see, religion, it's not a religion, because religion is the consequence of a changed heart. James one twenty six says this, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yes, that's a biblical word, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure religion, and unde- pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans. Oh, well, I can do that. A lot of people visit orphans. So they're pretty good people. Well, that's a good thing that they visit orphans. But the list doesn't end there. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. And now that that's a little more difficult. You see, because to be unstained requires an inward change that cannot be affected by outward means. You see, the word unstained means the following. It pertains to being of the highest quality and without defect, spotless. Wow. I can't, I have to be spotless. I can't, I can't be without, the world can't affect me like that? It, it also means, it pertains to being of um, untainted character. Oh, no, that's different untainted character, pure, without fault of inward condition as of character. 
Well, how does that happen? Do you go to church and it just kind of you get it by osmosis? Do you visit the orphans and the widows? And you take care of them. You feed the poor, like the world, you know, whatever organization that feeds everybody. And I'm all for that, by the way. <laughs> I say feed the poor people in the world. We could give money for that. I'm all for that. But that's not what James is talking about. Yes, those things are a consequence of something else. A changed heart, a changed character. And you can't do that by external means. Religion will never affect it. Oh sure, some people will be better. I won't deny that. There will be a lot of people in other churches go around, you know, I go to church on Sunday and I'm a pretty good guy. I give to the church. You know, I do this and I do that. Yeah, that's, that's all well and good. But that's not a changed character. That's an external, what we might say, religion of the mouth. These people worship me with their lips. That's what God told Israel. But their hearts are far from me. When our hearts are far from God, we may do good things and we should acknowledge when people do good things. Nothing wrong with that. But their hearts are still far from God. And that's the problem. So while they may be doing good things in one sense, they're doing evil things in another sense. Why? Because they have not had a change of heart. And the fact is, we struggle too, do we not? We struggle with having our hearts changed. We struggle with the sin that is still dwelling within us. Every time Paul says in Romans 7 that every time I seek to do good, evil is present within me. I see this principle working that when I want to do what's right, evil is right there, you know, tripping me up. So we're fighting this all the time. The difference is that we have a changed heart and it's possible to fight. But people who don't have a changed heart, it's not possible to fight. So, the remedy is a changed heart. Well, how does that come about? Well, it comes about through the cross of Christ. Through the cross of Christ. In Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ, according to Titus 2.14, gave Himself for us to redeem us. From what? every lawless deed and to purify himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds now what does the word redeemed mean well you could talk about people argue about this all the time Uh, it's a ransom and usually there's a ransom price right and that's how we always think of it and then the question always comes up at least with some theologians well who did who did, who, did, who did God pay the ransom price to? Who got the ransom? Who got the ransom price? Some people have actually postulated that the ransom price was given to the devil. It's like, oh, excuse oh, me, please. No. Can't go down that road. No. Well, what does it mean to be ransomed? Well, it really means basically to be set free. 
When God redeemed Israel from Egypt, what did He do? Did He pay Pharaoh a little bit of money to let him go? No. He destroyed his firstborn and the army of Egypt that tried to chase him into the wilderness, right? So that was was a horrible price Pharaoh had to pay. God didn't pay anybody a price. He redeemed, meaning He set His people free. He released them. Released them from what? The bondage of slavery to a foreign power. And so Israel always, even the rabbis, they talked about being redeemed from what? Redeemed from Gentile overlordship. They wanted to be redeemed from, from, from Rome, for goodness sake. That's what they were looking for when, when they were looking for the Messiah. He was going to redeem them, free them, deliver them from foreign bondage. Well, Paul's taking this idea and saying, listen, you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You have been set free from what? From the bondage of sin. So that sin is no longer our Lord. It doesn't lord itself over us. We are set free. Does that mean that we don't sin? I wish. But when we sin, we are acting against our nature. Because we have been created new in Christ Jesus. And so, yes, we will wrestle with sin through our whole lives. But the Christian says, okay, I have been a racist. And I'm going, to, I'm going to repent of that. And I'm going to not be a racist ever again. I'm going to begin to help my brothers and sisters. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to, a, to this black church over here and ask the pastor if we could pray together. Something like that. But just say, listen, I, I've been a racist. But I want to change. That's what we need to do. But we have the, we have the ability to do that because we have the Holy Spirit. Say, well, I've I've been an abuser of my children. What can I do? Well, you can go to your children and humble yourself before them and say, I am guilty of what I did. And what I need to do is is, is to ask your forgiveness. And I'm praying to God that you will forgive me. And I'm And I'm praying and I'm telling you that by the power of the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, I will never be this way again. Now, does that mean they're going to automatically, oh, yeah, come back? No, they're not. They're going to want to see some fruits of that. Well, rightly so. Give them the fruits. Show them the fruits. Well, what if it takes a year? Well, it takes a year. What if it takes 10 years? Well, it takes 10 years. I uh, counseled with a man one time, him and his wife, and he had been adulterous for their whole marriage, almost 10 years. And he was found out, right? So he confesses, he sins. His wife has solid ground. She could divorce him with no tinge of conscience. And I told her, you're right, you could. So what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to forgive him. So then I talked to him later on, not very long, a week or so later, and he goes, he's still, she's still saying things again. Well, excuse me, she's impatient with you? She doesn't trust you? What do you want her to do? You've been unfaithful for 10 years, and now you want her to just, in a week, say, oh, I just trust you. It doesn't work that way. 
You're going to have to sow some fruit. You're going to have to demonstrate to her your commitment to her from now on. Yes. We all, I'm the same way, folks. I do things wrong and I think, well, it should be automatically forgiven. Well, it is forgiven, but that doesn't mean that there's not some caution, right? I need to demonstrate the fruits of repentance. The other person does need to forgive. And they do need to put it behind them and not bring it up again. But I need to be able to say, I'm doing this, and I'm going to continue to do this, I'm going to continue to do this. Why? Because I'm a changed person. So we're going to address the problems of our society not by governmental um, decree. Washington can't decree a changed heart. It can't. It can only write laws that people will probably break because they won't submit to authority. They'll be like the person of color I saw in an article who said, if they don't give us what we want, we'll burn it down and we'll rebuild. Wow. That's that's a threat. Uh, That's actually treason in my opinion. But we have to understand that he's coming from a place of extreme anger. Yes. He's not submitting to authority because he's the authority. How do we change? How does that change? It has to change and only can change through a changed heart. And the only way the heart is changed is through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were not redeemed, set free with perishable things like silver or gold from from our futile way of life inherited from our fathers. How were we redeemed? By the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the Gospel, folks. That's the Gospel that will change the world in which we live. The culture in which we live. That's the message that says, okay... Christ died for our sins. God calls you to repent and believe the gospel. That's that's our message to this world. That's our only hope. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, repent doesn't mean, you know, you I mean it does mean to change your life, but what's being talked about in the scripture when it says repent and believe the gospel, it means change your mind about what you're thinking and believing and trusting and put that faith and trust in Christ. Stop believing what you believe and believe the Gospel. Well, you see, it's only through the Gospel that all things are reconciled to God Himself. Because God made peace through the blood of His cross, Christ's cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And it's even an answer to, for in a particular sense, we're dealing with today, racism. In Ephesians 2.16, Paul writes that Christ died that we might that God might reconcile both that is Jew and Gentile in one body to God through the cross now think of this for a minute Jew and Gentile 
You want to talk about racism? That was the division in the ancient world. Jew, Gentile. In Rome, free, slave. Citizen, slave. You want to go to any other part of the world where there's, there's, there's no difference now. You know, there's no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. We're all one in Christ. That's the message. We have to drop all these things. So, you know, we want to talk about, well, how do we resolve a problem in our... Well, there it is right there, the cross. Because Christ brought peace through the blood of His Christ, of His cross. That's our message to the world. The cross of Christ. That's what changes things. Now, everybody should be running out and saying, well, (laughs) boy, I want that. You know, let's get that rolling. Let's believe the gospel. No, they're not going to. You see, because, and this this is the deal. I have a lot of books about being reasonable, and I think they're good. I'm not saying anything about uh, how to construct good arguments and how to, you know, think logically. Um, um, a lot of books about apologetics, and you know, we got to get in there, and you know, and we do. We need to talk to people. We don't need to beat them over the head. I'm not saying that we need to do that, but um, the idea that we can, uh, and we do need to be persuasive. Paul spoke persuasively, but he didn't change. He didn't. He didn't alter anything. He didn't go there and say, you know, let's sit down. He did argue with people, but from the Scripture, he argued for the Gospel. And the Gospel never changed. It was Christ died for sinners, and you need to repent, and you need to believe that. You've got to stop believing in these foreign false gods, and you've got to believe in the God of Scripture. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, who died for sinners. That's what you have to do. And you know what? That's foolishness. We have a foolish message, folks. We go out and we say that to people and what do you expect to hear? Laughter. Or people get mad now. They They don't want to hear your religion. But the wisdom of God is demonstrated in the foolishness of preaching. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God into salvation for those who believe. So you see, the gospel that we preach goes back to the Creator, as I've stated before. We start a creation. Paul did that. God created all things, and He created man in His image and likeness. And then mankind fell into sin. We looked at that, I think, last week. And again, this week, we're going over it again because it's so important that God gave mankind up. Why? Because mankind rejected God. That's where mankind is. What is the remedy to that? The remedy is the gospel. And no one is going to come rushing in and say, Oh, I want to believe that. Because it's foolishness to those who are perishing. So God's given us a foolish message. Why? Why did He do that? Why didn't He give us something that appealed to the wisdom of man? Because He wants man to know that by their own wisdom they can't save themselves. Amen. By their own wisdom, they're only perishing. Yes. 
And so, yes, the cross is a message of foolishness to those who are perishing, but it, to us who are saved, it is the power of God into salvation, and that's what we have to hold on to. Don't be duped by the movies that try to influence us thinking that we can control our world and make it good. That's what's being presented to us in the movies, in music, on television. We can change the world. We can make it heaven on earth. We can make it a utopia. We can't. That's been tried before, and I know it's going to be tried again, and it isn't going to work. Why? Because people are estranged from God. And there's only one remedy for that. And it is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do give you thanks for your love and your goodness to us. I myself struggle all the time with frustration. You know this, Father. I struggle with the frustrations of the way the world is. I struggle with the frustrations of pain that breaks down the bodies of people that I love. I struggle more with the fact that so many of the people I love are estranged from you. And and my heart my heart breaks but I don't think it breaks enough. I don't think that I've been broken enough to bring you to the place where I pray more than I think where I pray to you for strength and power. I think all of us need to be broken in a sense. The church needs to be broken to see that We cannot succeed at anything. Our success is in you. And we need to be together as as a body to pray for one another and to pray for our world and to pray for the church. Something we haven't done for a long time. Oh yes, on Sunday we pray. And I know on Wednesday we pray, but it's very brief. Father, we need to understand the gravity of the situation in which we find ourselves. And we need to be convinced. We need to have our hearts uh, enraptured with the truth that the only answer to the situation in this world is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Foolishness to them, but wisdom and power for us who believe. We thank you and we praise you for your gift of salvation, your gift of grace, your kindness to us who didn't deserve it and in fact still don't deserve it. But you are a God of grace and mercy and for that we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please turn to him? Um, Psalm 23b. Psalm 23b. I lost the middle part. I must have taken. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs>